need a rest from the world's headlong rush to Christmas? Some place where you and your family can slow down and prepare for Christ's birth at the church's rather than the world's pace? A midweek evening Advent service is the perfect time for your first visit to a Christ-centered, cross-focused Lutheran church. Learn more on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org or send an email to talkback at issuesetc.org. That stanza one of the hymn, Preach You the Word. We talk a lot about preaching here on Issues Etc. Is it mandatory? Is it instituted by Christ? And when a pastor sits down to preach, what is he going to do? Is it just a big absolution? Just a longer version of, I forgive you all your sins? Or is there more to Christ-instituted preaching than that? And how do you listen? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor David Peterson joins us to talk about listening to a sermon. He's pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and departmental editor of Godestine's The Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. David, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. My pleasure. First, in a general sense, let's deal with a couple errors regarding preaching that I've noticed over the course of the last couple of decades. The first one is common to pop Christianity, and it's not everywhere, but it's sometimes found there. And that is that preaching is it's good, but maybe it's outdated and probably is optional on Sunday morning. You could just as well, say in the case of Bill Hybels back in the day, bring someone in and interview them instead of actually preaching God's Word. Just a little time, or maybe it could be replaced with something akin to a TED Talk, or who knows what you might have there. A skit, maybe. Deal with that one first. I mean, I think that's actually blasphemous. So preaching was instituted by Christ. It's a, I mean, it's an essential activity of worship. So to replace it with a video montage or an interview or anything that isn't actually explicating and applying the word of God is problematic. And I'm not very familiar with Bill Hybels. I never heard of this, so <laughs> I'm surprised by it. I suppose they're they're going to say that these skits or whatever or these interviews somehow are teaching the Word of God, but I don't know. It seems very problematic to me. <laughs> we do have an institution of preaching, right? In Matthew chapter 28, that's what the word teaching means, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, I mean, that's an explicit activity of the apostolic ministry of the New Testament church that marks worship, that we actually are preaching. So, it, it just isn't optional, I guess. The other error is one that may be particular to Lutheranism, and that is that preaching is essentially just a big or extended absolution, that the only task of the preacher, the only task, is to communicate the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, this is one I'm definitely familiar with, right? And of course, it's 
this is a much more reasonable kind of error in a sense, because of course, God did institute preaching for the purpose of bestowing his spirit and for forgiving sins to both create and to strengthen faith. But preaching is distinct from holy baptism or the absolution or the sacrament of the altar. It's an institution of Christ and his peculiar gift that is that of teaching. And so to just reduce it to the absolution is problematic because we already have an absolution that God has instituted. Another kind of closely related, I think, is to reduce it to sort of an evangelism speech or witnessing. And that's problematic too. Again, it might look like preaching or sound like preaching in some sense, but preaching needs to always be an explication of a text. So it doesn't have to be exactly expository, though I think a lot of times it should be. But you know, if you're witnessing to a coworker, that's not really an exegetical task. You're not really explicating a particular passage of Holy Scripture and then applying it to his life. It's more of a systematics task where you're bringing in a lot of Bible passages and you're trying to teach him general spiritual truths as demonstrated and revealed in God's Word, but the way you go about that is different. And of course, the other big point there would be that in preaching, we are preaching to the baptized, that is to people who are already believers. So it's not just an absolution. It's not an evangelism, right? Back in the day, they used to try to have these seeker services. I think those have gone away. I hope they have. It's not for seekers, right? Preaching is actually the way that uh, disciples are kept in the discipleship. And the word disciple, of course, means student, We just had to say that over and over again, because that real meaning of the word is almost lost, because I think most people hear this word disciple, at least broadly speaking, when I hear it in the American Christian church, when they talk about discipling people, they almost always mean like disciplining them. That is, you know, making them work harder, helping them achieve their goals, they're becoming stronger. And that's not like a totally foreign to the reality, but the word is literally to be students, to be pupils, to be catechumens. And so catechumens receive teaching, right? And that's what we need to recognize. This is a gift from God that does bestow the Holy Spirit, that does forgive sins, that can create faith, and certainly is meant to strengthen faith. But we should recognize it as the gift that it is and receive it in its unique form. So having dealt with those two errors regarding preaching, let's come back to something you mentioned there, and that is the institution of preaching, that for Christ, this is something that the church is to do, along with the administration of the sacraments, and to do it as often as we gather. So take us back into Matthew 28 and the institution. Well, and so I would say it's, I would uh, just be slightly more narrow, and I would say it's really what the apostles are to do and what the apostolic ministry is to do. Now, of course, that's what the church does. But I mean, it is a particular function of the apostolic ministry, that which follows the apostles, which would be the office you and I are in. We usually use the word pastor, shepherd, but it is given to the apostles and then to the apostolic ministers to actually preach. Matthew 28, already cited, is, is important, but of course also the sending in Matthew 10 of the disciples out to preach, and then uh, the sending of the 70 in Luke's gospel and other places, as well as the preaching that both John the Baptist and Jesus do. 
the Sermon on the Mount being, of course, maybe the most excellent example, but also the high priestly prayer and the context of that and the preaching that goes on in the upper room in John 13 through 17 or 18. All of these show that Jesus is very interested in, again, kind of explicating scripture, opening scripture to his people in order to feed their faith. And the Lutheran confessions, particularly the Augsburg Confession, picks up on this. And I'm sure this has been cited on here thousands of times, but Article 4 of the Augsburg Confession and Article 5 of the Augsburg Confession were originally one article and then in the editing process got broken to two. And so Article 4 is justification. So it reads, it is taught that we cannot obtain forgiveness of sin and righteousness before God through our merit, work, or satisfactions, but that we receive forgiveness of sin and become righteous before God out of grace for Christ's sake through faith. When we believe that Christ has suffered for us and that for his sake, our sin is forgiven and righteousness and eternal life are given to us. For God will regard and reckon this faith as righteousness in his sight as St. Paul says in Romans 3 and 4. To obtain such faith, now that's where the break is, so they've inserted this Article 5 concerning the office of preaching, but in order to obtain such faith, that is this justifying faith that is reckoned by God as righteousness, in order to obtain such faith, God instituted the office of preaching, giving the gospel and the sacraments. Through these, as through means, he gives the Holy Spirit who produces faith, where and when he wills, in those who hear the gospel. It teaches that we have a gracious God, not through our merit, but through Christ's merit, when we so believe. Condemned are the Anabaptists and others who teach that we obtain the Holy Spirit without the external word of the gospel, through our own preparation, thoughts, and works. So that's the office, but that then implies there is preaching in this office, right? That this has been actually instituted according to Lutheran confessors, to give the gospel, and that he uses the Holy Spirit through this office, through this preaching, to produce faith in those who hear the gospel, in and of course where he wills, but this is actually what he does. And this office is teaching that we have a gracious God, not through our merit, but through Christ's merit when we so believe. So this teaching aspect is really essential. And I think one of the sort of other kinds of weird modern nuances that has got in the way of our understanding what a sermon is meant to be is that we've made this distinction between teaching and preaching that's not without some merit, but it's way overdone. And the distinction that we think of, I'm not sure that Jesus ever thinks in that way, and certainly not the Lutheran confessors either. So what do I mean? In Matthew chapter 28, the word that Jesus uses is didaskalos, that is teaching, like the word didake, right, the teaching. He uses that word for preaching. And here, and also in the confessions, whenever it talks about teaching, it actually means preaching or what we think of as sermons. What do I mean? There were no Bible classes Jesus didn't hold Bible classes. He preached. Luther never taught a Bible class. I don't think Luther ever taught a catechism class. The catechism was taught on Sunday evenings. I think this is right. Somebody can correct me. But the catechism was taught on Sunday evenings through sermons that were preached at Vespers. Maybe they were more interactive than we're used to with sermons, but they weren't classroom lectures with a blackboard. They were through preaching. I think that because we have Bible classes and we have Sunday school, we can thank the Methodists for that. And it's a great institution. And I'm happy to be 
part of it. But because we have that, we kind of, sometimes we have thought that we could separate the activity and we could do the real teaching. We'll teach doctrine and Bible class, but in preaching, we're just going to preach the gospel. And that's a problem. That's a problem because Jesus instituted preaching for the sake of delivering doctrine, opening the scriptures to strengthen the faith of those who hear it. It's also a problem kind of pragmatically because not everybody comes to Bible class. And preachers are sort of prone to complaining about the fact that people don't come to Bible class. Well, I get it. It's a legitimate complaint in a sense, but it also ought to kind of underscore the fact to the preachers that they need to do their work in the pulpit, that that is the main avenue for teaching doctrine. I would actually say that the primary purpose of the sermon is not absolution. The primary purpose of the sermon is instruction in doctrine, teaching the Holy Scriptures. So Bible class's purpose is actually in instruction and examples of how to read the Bible. Do not relegate the teaching of doctrine to the Bible class. The teaching of doctrine has got to take place in the worship service, in the context of the absolution and the sacrament of the altar. And of course, the doctrine that we preach is always driven by the proper distinction between law and gospel. Certainly the gospel is proclaimed in the sermon, but this whole thing was instituted by God in a distinct way. So back to this, what is preaching? Sometimes it's helpful to see the distinction between the gifts that God gives. So absolution is a wonderful, magnificent gift that God gives for those who know that they have sins and they can know and feel them in their hearts. And those sins they're supposed to confess before the pastor, right? And then receive the absolution directly from him as from God himself, not doubting, but firmly believing. So we go to hear the absolution because God has told us that in this way, he will bless us. He will strengthen our faith. He will remove the guilt of our sins from us. That's what we should go to absolution for. We don't get the exact same thing if we go to Holy Communion. There's a correspondence to be sure, right? In Holy Communion, we also receive the forgiveness of sins. The Holy Spirit is bestowed but it is a different experience because it's a different gift and a different institution. God forbid someone would say, I get enough in the absolution. I'm not going to go to Holy Communion. My sins are already forgiven. I have the Holy Spirit. I'm full. I don't want any more. As though Holy Communion was just like dessert, right? We don't need it. We had steak in the absolution, so we're not going to go to Holy Communion. It would be outrageous to pit one of God's gifts against one of the others and say, well, they're basically the same. I'll just take the one I like. And of course, I'm being a little facetious because it's the opposite, isn't it? What our people are prone to doing is taking Holy Communion, but neglecting completely the absolution. And they neglect the absolution in some ways because we have the preparatory right that feels like the absolution, and maybe because we've taught them that the sermon's the absolution. But the sermon also, again, bestows the forgiveness of sins, bestows the Holy Spirit, but its purpose is actually to open up the scriptures, to teach doctrine, and to help us to learn to apply God's word to the specific instances of our lives. And that has a promise as well that's different from the other two. And if we know who it's for and what God's intent with it is and why we need the fullness of his gifts, I think we will be better preachers and I think we'll be better hearers. I think we should also point out that 
<laughs> well, people who've studied Scripture, Sunday morning Bible class is a very, very recent addition to the Sunday morning routine. And it does appear to be kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card. Well, I'm not going to deal with that. The pastor who tells me I'm not going to deal with that in a sermon, I'll deal with that in Bible class, I'm pretty sure he isn't going to deal with it in Bible class either. <laughs> or he's just dealing with it in Bible class with the people that already agree with him, right? It's a wonderful institution. Don't get me wrong. I love teaching Bible class. I want everybody in our congregation to come to Bible class. I mean, it's I'm not against it. I'm with you 100%. It's a recent innovation, and it's a it's a human institution, which is fine. The church has lots of human institutions, right? Vespers is a human institution, but preaching is not a human institution. And the idea that to sit and listen to an ordained man that God has sent to us explicate scripture to us week after week is an astounding reality. Most of these confusions about preaching don't come from the laity. They come from the clergy. Like, I can't imagine the people at Bill Hybels Church saying, it'd be fine if you didn't preach, just have an interview. I mean, the lay people know that they're supposed to be preaching. They know it instinctually, and they would be dissatisfied if we didn't do it. But it is kind of amazing that they tolerate it, right? Where else in this world of ours do you go and sit and listen to somebody explicate every week for 20 minutes? I mean, the closest thing I can think of is maybe political speeches, but you know those aren't really instructional or informational that much. They're sort of just kind of motivational, whatever. TED Talks, that's similar too, but the fact that we would sit, put our phones away and just listen for 20 minutes to somebody talking to us about what the Bible says about God in our lives, it's kind of an amazing and I think really unusual thing. To some degree, singing, communal singing is like that too. There's no communal singing outside of the church anymore, but where is there listening to lectures? Mark Twain traveled the country giving lectures and people would sign up and go, but I think we're the last vestige of that. Pastor David Peterson is our guest. Listening to a sermon is our topic. This is Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Folks, you can announce the good news of Jesus' birth with boldness and joy to your family and friends by sending them a Christmas card from Ad Crucem. Ad Crucem's Christmas cards are beautiful and theologically sound. You'll find a wide assortment of Christmas cards at adcrucem.com, A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. When we come back, we'll go into the explanation of the third commandment from Luther's Catechism on listening to a sermon. rest from the world's headlong rush to Christmas? Some place where you and your family can slow down and prepare for Christ's birth at the church's rather than the world's pace? A midweek evening Advent service is the perfect time for your first visit to a Christ-centered, cross-focused Lutheran church. Learn more on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org or send an email to talkback at issuesetc.org. Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the President and Vice Presidents of Synod. 
please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. Declaring to you the whole counsel of God, you're listening to Issues Etc. For nearly 140 years, the Lutheran Witness has taught the faith, defended it against error, and shown forth the great treasures of the Lutheran Church and biblical doctrine. We're continuing this legacy by publishing issues and articles that help you see the world from a Lutheran perspective and that teach biblical doctrine and show forth the treasures of God's Word. Visit our website to learn more and how to subscribe, witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we move farther along in St. Luke with Jesus Heals the Demoniac, Healing and Preaching, Calling of Four Disciples, Jesus Cleanses a Leper, and Which is Easier to Say. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or on your favorite podcast provider. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're discussing listening to a sermon with Pastor David Peterson of Gottesdienst, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. David, you wanted to take us to Luther's explanation to the third commandment to begin a conversation on listening to a sermon. Well, people were not listening closely enough. They weren't taking it seriously. And I'm just going to read you a few paragraphs here. It says about maybe a a fifth of the entire article on the third commandment. Luther writes, because so much depends on God's word that no holy day is sanctified without it, we must realize that God wants this commandment, the third commandment, to be kept strictly and will punish all who despise the word and refuse to hear and learn it, especially at the times appointed. Therefore, this commandment is violated not only by those who grossly misuse and desecrate the holy day, like those who in their greed or frivolity neglect the hearing of God's word or lie around in taverns, dead drunk like swine. It is also violated by that other crowd who listen to God's word as they would listen to any other entertainment, who only from force of habit go to hear the sermon and leave again with as little knowledge at the end of the year as at the beginning. It used to be thought that Sunday had been properly observed if one went to Mass or listened to the gospel being read. However, no one asked about God's word, and no one taught it either. Now that we have God's word, we still fail to eliminate this abuse, for we permit ourselves to be preached to and admonished, but we listen without serious concern. Remember then that you must be concerned not only about hearing the word, but also about learning it and retaining it. Do not think that it is up to your discretion or that it's an unimportant matter. It is the commandment of God who will require of you an accounting of how you have heard, learned, and honored his word. In the same way, those conceited spirits should also be punished who after they have heard a sermon or two become sick and tired of it and feel that they know it all and need no more instructors. 
So it's pretty harsh. Luther's pretty strict here, right? That if you refuse to hear and learn, he says, you're going to be punished. He says, the commandment's not just broken by those who don't go to church. The commandment's also broken by those who go to church, but they listen to the preaching as though it's any other entertainment, right? They're just listening for their own amusement. They're not working at it. Luther expects us to listen attentively. And then the next thing he says here demonstrates that also he expects there to be cumulative growth over time. He says that if you would go to church only from force of habit, or if at the end of the year, you have as little knowledge as you had at the beginning, then you've broken this commandment. You haven't actually grown. You have the word of God hasn't changed you. And most of the time, there ought to be some, in some sense, demonstrable knowledge gain that could actually be noticed over a course of a year, right? So the problem is we listen without serious concern. And then again, he says in paragraph 98, you must be concerned not only with hearing, but about learning it and retaining it, because this is the commandment of God, and you're going to be held accountable about how you heard and how you learned and how you honored his word. So he's really calling us to really take it seriously, right? And I think this is hard. I know this is hard because it's easy to drift off during the sermons. It's easy to have all of this. And before we go too much further, I just want to say that this is as condemning or difficult for the preachers as it is for the hearers. Because in order for a sermon to be learnable and retainable means that there's a part of that burden falls on the preacher. We need to be preaching sermons that actually have a thesis statement, that actually have an argument that's being made that can be followed when it's just heard audibly and actually has something to say. Our sermons then cannot just simply be musings about God or general spiritual truths and biblical ideas, and certainly not just stories and illustrations. We need to actually preach sermons so that a serious hearer could do what Luther says needs to be done, which is that he ought to be able to actually learn it and retain it. And this is really a call to repentance, that we need to all work harder at this and take the sermon itself seriously as this which God himself ordained for our good and to expect something good out of it. And again, now this time it's again, the lay people are onto this already. The problem with this whole idea that I just explicated and that Luther brought up to us is not in the laity. The laity, in my experience, almost without exception, come to church assuming that the sermon is meant to teach. And they're right about that. The sermon should be meant to teach. They expect to get something out of the sermon. And by that, I mean, they expect there to be some nugget, some revelation, some insight into God's word and application for their lives. They're right to expect that. That ought to all again be within the proper distinction between law and gospel that's still under and driven completely by the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and our salvation. But the sermon is meant to do those things, and they're right about that. And I think the problem has been preachers that have forgotten that's what it was or who didn't want it to be that because that requires more work in sermon preparation and delivery. So the hearers need to work harder, period. The preachers need to work harder also, period.
We're discussing listening to a sermon with Pastor David Peterson, departmental editor of Gottesdienst, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. On the other side, what are some strategies for listening more closely to a sermon? Thank you for almost six and a half million downloads so far this year. Please help us reach more listeners in 2023 by making a year-end tax-deductible gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. Concordia University Chicago invites all high school students to attend the annual Careers for Christ weekend in person on our beautiful campus in River Forest. Careers for Christ is October 28th to 30th. You'll have the opportunity to learn about professional church vocations while having fun with CUC staff, faculty, and students. For more information, visit cuchicago.edu forward slash c4c cuchicago.edu forward slash c, the number four, c. Expert guests, expansive topics, extolling Christ. You're listening to Issues Etc. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, is looking for an English teacher with a master's degree for the 2023-24 school year. Edwardsville is 30 minutes from downtown St. Louis. The position would involve teaching upper-level, dual-credit English classes. For more information, send an email to Principal Jay Krause, J-A-Y-K-R-A-U-S-E, at melhs.org, jkrause at melhs.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're discussing listening to a sermon with Pastor David Peterson. He's departmental editor of Gottesdienst, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. If you appreciate teaching like this, help us equip the priesthood of all believers by making a year-end tax-deductible gift to support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. You can make a secure online donation at issuesetc.org. You can also make a financial contribution by giving us a call, 618-223-8385, For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we will send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. Thanks for listening, and thanks for including issues, etc., in your year-end giving. David, what are some strategies for listening more closely to a sermon? Yeah, absolutely. So I think part of this sort of taking preaching seriously is really like to listen to preaching the way that we would listen to any kind of serious speech, or we would read like a a serious article or book, right? So when you're listening to a sermon, the first thing you ought to be doing is trying to figure out what is the thesis statement or what is the sermon's main point, right? There ought to be one. There ought to be an identifiable theme, thesis, main point. You know, there ought to be an argument that's being made. And you ought to be trying to figure that out. Typically, you know, it's the last sentence of the first paragraph. It doesn't have to be that way, but, you know, it ought to be in the first few minutes most of the time. It is possible to preach a sermon that sort of builds towards that. I mean, that's a rhetorical 
arrangement that can be used. But even then, you ought to have some ideas. Now, as you're doing that, right, you're listening for this, you're thinking actively, well, what's his point? You ought to be also then willing while you're listening to modify what you think the thesis is. Well, he started off talking about Jesus riding into Jerusalem as a king, and I thought he was going to talk about Jesus as a king, but it turns out it was a little bit more Jesus is a king unlike earthly kings. Oh, Jesus is an unlike earthly kings in this way, right? So it can change or develop. You might have to modify it, but that's going to require active listening and thinking. The other thing that goes right with this is identifying the thesis is you ought to also be able to identify the passage or the section of scripture that he's actually preaching on. That is, again, most of the time he ought to be explicating a specific passage of Holy Scripture. There could be times, particularly like at occasional services, maybe funerals, maybe Christmas, who knows, there could be time where the thing is more generic, okay? So I don't want to condemn that or say it can never happen in a way that's God-pleasing or useful. But most of the time, he ought to have a text that he's actually teaching, applying. And you should be able to tell what it is from listening. You know, and of course, most of the time, it's going to probably be the gospel that was read that day or one of the other readings. But in any case, thinking about it is very, is very edifying and good. Next, while you're doing that, you know, and as he's going, try to identify his argument. Like, how is he, he made this statement, God, Jesus is a king, unlike earthly kings. Well, how does he prove that, right? What passages does he cite or what examples does he use? How does he move this thesis forward? How does he make the argument? This is harder than identifying just the thesis, especially when we're just listening, but you want to try to actually stick with him. And part of that would be while you're listening, you might even be anticipating. Well, if I was going to make that argument, I would use the example of Solomon riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, or I would use the negative example of David using his kingdom for his own glory and pleasure, right? So you're thinking actively and engaging with what he's saying directly. The next thing is while you're listening, you would actually be like having this conversation inside your head and you'd be rehearsing this. That is, you would be saying to yourself, right, Jesus is a king like unlike earthly kings and sort of imagining how you're going to talk about this or explain it to somebody else, right? So you need to be able to distill down what he's saying to summarize it. And while he's talking, you're already sort of thinking about how you're going to do that. And ultimately, I do want you to actually do that because the goal is part of this learning and retaining would be also using. So what we're trying to get, particularly here at Redeemer, is we're trying to get our people to go home and talk about the sermon at the dinner table or on the car ride home. And this is really great if you have still have young children at home, because what we're wanting to do is the dads quiz the children what did the pastor talk about in the sermon today? Well, in order to administer this quiz in the car, the dad has to know, right? So he has to listen, but they're going to have a discussion about it. And so he needs to be ready to sort of repeat the argument, make the point that the pastor made as much as he can. The next step would be, even while he's talking, to actually be applying it to your own life and situation, even before he does, 
to sort of say, well, what does it mean that Jesus is a king unlike earthly kings? What does that mean for the way that I treat my subordinates at work? Or what does that mean for the way that I bear the authority? Or how is it that people who I am subordinated to, how do they do it in a way that's both appropriate or inappropriate? How might I respond differently, right? You're actually thinking about this according to your own station in life and the Ten Commandments and trying to make this application. The pastor can't make every application for every situation, for every different circumstance, right? If you're not married and he's talking about holy marriage, there's a, almost everything still applies to you, but you're going to have to do more of the work in your own head, right? Or if he's talking about whatever, you know, something that, you know, you're just not maybe a besetting sin that you don't have a weakness for. Maybe he's talking about getting drunk and you hate alcohol and the taste of it, and you've never been drunk in your life. Well, you will still understand that we all have addictive personalities. We all like dopamine. We all get caught up in stuff that we shouldn't, and we all seek to escape. So you can make your own applications, and you need to, and you ought to do it based on what he's saying. This is where I think one of the places we often go wrong, because what we're really good at doing is the opposite of that. The guy's talking and I'm thinking about how it's not true because I can think of an exception, right? Or that doesn't quite apply to me. He said, everybody suffers from addictive quirks, but I don't. So instead of just jumping to how is the guy wrong, maybe try to think, okay, I could see some ways that that doesn't apply to me, but it should still apply to me, does it? right? And to look a little deeper about that. And then the ultimate thing, as you're talking to your family about this, would be to even expand it, what he said in the sermon today. He said this, but you know, it got me thinking about that. And there's this other time in the Bible when this happened, right? Or also even refining his argument. You know, he used the example of Solomon, but that's not maybe the best example. I mean, it worked for his point, but you know, I was thinking about Charlemagne. I don't know. So, The point would be that we're going to actually listen to this with great effort, with great attention, because we recognize it as a holy thing that God is actually working through and in our presence, that when we're listening to a sermon, we're engaged in a sacramental activity, a mystical institution that God has given for our benefit and edification. And we're going to take that with the same sort of seriousness that we take the sacrament of the altar. And then the final thing would be for next Sunday to also even go so far as to prepare for the sermon. So they could listen to the getting ready for Sunday mornings, which you've rebooted with new people. So listening to the lessons in advance or reading them is probably the finest preparation you could do. And it's also what's really nice about that is it's parallel to the preacher's preparation. So if you're reading the gospel for this coming Sunday, on Wednesday, guess who else is probably reading that gospel? Your pastor, right? So that's very nice. And it's the best kind of preparation you can do. Of course, say a prayer on Saturday night, and then again on Sunday morning, even as the pastor's walking into the pulpit. And if you want to take, we encourage people to take notes. I mean, we don't make a big fuss about it, but I should, maybe what I should say is more, we certainly don't discourage people from taking notes. We don't look askance when they do it. And when they ask us about it, we say, by all means, take notes. So if you want to scratch some notes on the bulletin or something, and that's useful to you as an aid to memory and as concentration, by all means, do it. I don't think it's in the least bit irreverent or inappropriate. 
Pastor David Peterson is pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and he's departmental editor of God Estinct, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. David, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Todd. Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss decision theology with Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. We'll conclude our Opponents of Jesus series talking with Dr. Curtis Giese about the Herodians, and we'll respond to your email, talkback at issuesetc.org, and the Issues Etc. comment line 618-223-8382. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. The grace of God, the church's music, the Lord's Supper every service every Sunday, preaching Christ crucified and risen, our hope for years to come, there is hope in St. Louis, Hope Lutheran Church, that is. 5218 Neosho Street, St. Louis, Missouri. Find us on the web at hopelutheranstl.org.